One of my favorite stories about prayer comes from a, a friend who is a pastor. He and his family, they were sitting down for dinner one night, and his son, uh, who was elementary aged at the time, uh, he asked him to pray for their meal. They all closed their eyes. It got quiet for a few moments, and the son said, I've got nothing. We're focusing on prayer during Lent this year because no matter our age and no matter our stage or how long we have been in the church, there are times that we, we go to pray and we have nothing. There are times when we, we go to pray and we stumble over our words. I stumble over our, my words when I pray all the time. There are times that we don't know what to do or what to say. Maybe we're afraid that we'll use the wrong formula or if we're with other people that we might somehow offend them. Or maybe, maybe we just don't, don't feel like praying. We feel distant from God. Or we just feel like God isn't listening. I think some of that sort of uncertainty, some of what we feel when we, we just don't feel like praying, is why Jesus' first followers asked him to teach them to pray. They had been with him for quite some time, and they knew his rhythms, they, they knew his routines, and, and, and they finally say to him in, in Luke chapter 11, Hey, hey, you know John the Baptist? John the Baptist, his, his disciples, he taught his disciples how to pray. Can you teach us? how to do the same thing. About four years ago, we, we had a, a sermon series here where we walked through the Lord's Prayer. And since I know you all remember exactly what I said, just kidding, I, I don't remember what we said. Um, we're we're going to take a, a little bit different approach during, during Lent this season. Uh, over the next six weeks, the goal is to give us all tools or, or practices that we can use each and every day throughout this Lenten season to, to make space to focus on God. Tools and practices that we can use in those moments where we say, you know what, I got nothing. As I prepared for this series, two images came to mind. Uh, one that was, was planned and explicitly aimed to communicate a Christian message on one of the world's biggest stages. And one that kind of happened spontaneously in response to a shocking event. They, they both involved football. I know we don't all watch football, but they both involved football. If you watch the Super Bowl, there are a, a couple of, of really well done, well put together ads that aim to show that Jesus gets who we are. That even in the world in which we live today, that he gets us. The other image came from weeks before the playoffs even started. After a life-threatening injury to a player on the Buffalo Bills, people responded by just gathering and praying. There were images that came up after this all over the place of players gathering to pray, of people in the stands gathering to pray, of people going to the hospital where he was gathering to pray. Shoot, an anchor on the nation's largest Sports Network stopped in the middle of his broadcast and said, I'm not sure I'm supposed to do this, and prayed. In their own right, both of these images kind of broke through the noise of our day. 
They made statements about God. They made statements about Christians. They invited important conversations. And while the Super Bowl commercials caught the attention of a whole lot of people, at least for me, they didn't invoke the same sort of response as the prayers around Damar Hamlin did. The psalm that we read earlier, I mentioned, it's, it's one of my favorite psalms. It's, in fact, one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And in the Sunday night of that injury, the Sunday night of that injury, it seemed like everyone watching collectively stood still. Still in the midst of a horrible accident, still in the middle of unanswered questions, still while full of uncertainty, still in prayer, not sure what the next day held, but hopeful that God would show up. I'm going to mention a couple of practices later in the sermon that most of us would consider to be ancient practices. It's easy to look at them and say, well, that was then. It was easier for people to practice them then because the world just wasn't quite as busy then. The world wasn't quite as chaotic then. That, that was when people didn't have computers in their pockets and smart was a word that was reserved for people, not devices. It's different now. Well, it's true. It is different. And it'd be silly to state otherwise. But God is still sovereign. God is still speaking. God is still moving in the world. And as surprising as it might sound, people are still trying to listen through the noise. There was some research that was put out uh, within the last year, actually within the last six months, by, by an organization called Barna that kind of studied the state of Christianity, the state of churches, and, and they found that, that nearly 60% of all Americans still pray weekly. Does that surprise you? 60% of Americans still pray weekly. The same research stated that there's been a resurgence among Christians around Lectio Divina, a simple practice connected to reciting and praying through Scripture. This is the, the practice we're actually going to be doing together this next Wednesday at our, our prayer gathering. We might not always know what to say or how to say it, but, but neither did Jesus' first followers. It's why they asked. And one of the reasons that I think people connect to Lectio Divina, I'll just speak for myself, one of the reasons I connect to Lectio Divina is that because Jesus himself used the scriptures of his day, the Psalms, he used them as a framework for prayer. He didn't just kind of get out there and, and share whatever was on his mind. He used the Psalms as a framework for prayer. Now, we don't know exactly what he was praying through in the beginning of Mark, but starting at verse 35, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote that when we're silent in the morning, we, we give God the first word of the day. And that when we're, we're silent in the evening, we give God the last word before we go to sleep. Now, I, 
have a deep appreciation for Bonhoeffer. He's easily one of my favorite theologians, but I have a bit of a bone to pick. I have a bit of a bone to pick with the statement that if we're, we're silent in the morning, we give God the first word. And if we're silent in the evening, we give him the last word. It's easier said than done. Can I get an amen? Sure, it sounds nice in theory, but finding silence isn't easy. Bonhoeffer didn't have a needy dog. He may have had a needy dog, I don't really know. Bonhoeffer didn't have kids or a leak in his house that moves around every time a new storm comes. Bonhoeffer didn't have extended family that he was constantly worrying about. Right? No, he didn't have the same sort of pressures, maybe. But he did have a lot on his mind. I'm sure World War II kept him up at night. I'm sure the Nazi movement kept him up at night. I'm sure launching what became known as the Confessing Church Movement definitely kept him up at night. It's hard to be quiet. It's hard to be still. To give God the first and the last word. And yet, that doesn't mean we shouldn't prioritize listening for God's voice. Again, it's the entire reason we're in this series during Lent. Uh, in his fantastic book on slowing down and, and, and hearing God, John Mark Comer, he, he writes this. He writes, the noise of the modern world makes us deaf to the voice of God, drowning out the one input we most need. So, of course... Jesus' world, the, the world that he, he left with he was with the disciples, they go looking for him, that, that, that house that he left, it looked different than our, our world today when he goes away to pray. And that world looks drastically different from, from Bonhoeffer's world. And that world looks drastically different from where we are today. And yet, listening through the noise has always been important. Many of you know that I was diagnosed uh, about 20 years ago with a disease called Meniere's disease. I've talked about it before. And when we were first trying to figure out what was going on in my ears, when we were first trying to figure out what was going on in my head, it was incredibly frustrating. A few months into the journey of figuring it all out, I was uh, with one of the specialists and he, he said something that, that finally began to make sense. He said, the ringing in your ear is like feedback between a microphone and a speaker. Your brain wants you to, to, wants to hear what it's always heard, so it's turning up the volume. And if you know anything about sound and, and audiovisual equipment, then you should talk to Aubrey after church, because we're always looking for people to do AV. But if, if you know anything about microphones and speakers and the way they work, if you bring the microphone close to the speaker, what happens? It feeds back. It feeds back. And he said to me, what you're hearing is feedback. What you're hearing is feedback. I haven't really experienced silence for 20 years. But over time, with a lot of practice, I've learned to listen beyond the noise. So when Mark writes that Jesus starts his day with prayer... He gives us kind of three quick steps to how to listen in the midst of a noisy, noisy world. 
Jesus had just started his ministry. He had called his first disciples. He had, he had preached a little bit. He had uh, healed quite a few people. And the buzz around Galilee, it had started to pick up. It had started to pick up. People were starting to say, who is this guy? What is he doing? What's he about? How can we be a part of it? So what does Jesus do? He gets away from it all. He prioritizes prayer enough that he gets up early in the morning and he goes away. When we think of those who take seriously or take prayer seriously, we, we, we more often than not think of monks or we think of someone who, who, who's not busy, someone who, who, who doesn't necessarily get things done. They have all day to sit there and, and to pray. But think about all that Jesus had going on in his life at this time. He was busy. He was busy. And so, he gets up early in the morning. Now, I know he's Jesus and we're not. But busyness can't be an excuse for not prioritizing prayer. In all reality, the busier we are, the more we actually need it. The more that we need to hit pause and to prioritize prayer. So what does that look like for you? It might not be early in the morning. Maybe it's getting up in the middle of the day and, and stepping away from your desk for a few minutes, going on a short prayer walk. Maybe it's stopping on your way home from work, on the way to the store, stopping intentionally and just hitting pause, stepping out of your daily routine to pray. Maybe it's joining us Wednesday night for our prayer gatherings. Jesus, he gets up and he physically moves from the place where he was sleeping. He left the house to go pray. It's often the change of scenery that, that changes our focus. Some of you might have a quiet space in your home that, that works for you. Um, and for some people, it's the garage. For some people, it's, it's their garden. Uh, but that's not true for all of us. I can tell you there's not a whole lot of silence in the roadie household. Jesus had to physically step away to pray. It's okay for us to do the same. And then he goes off to a, a solitary place. The word that Mark uses here is, is the same word that we get wilderness from. Wilderness. The entire reason that we, we remember Lent, the entire, what Lent is built around is remembering Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness before his public ministry began. This is an invitation to join Jesus in that wilderness, in that solitary place. So Mark writes that the, the disciples, they, they busy themselves looking for Jesus. They feel the, the pressure of the crowds. They haven't quite yet asked him, teach us to pray. But I have to imagine, this is where their curiosity began. To, to began. Things were going great. Their fellowship was growing. People were turning to God. And the rabbi who was at the center of it all prioritized stepping away to connect with his father. I mentioned that earlier that the entire point of this series is to give us tools or, or practices that we can use, that we can engage while we're in this season in the wilderness, while we're in Lent. And there's a practice that, that's most often associated with the Catholic tradition that's a wonderful, wonderful tool 
for listening through the noise. It's called the prayer of examine. Do any of you know it? And if you know the prayer, the prayer of, of examine, it's okay. If you don't, it was, uh, it, it was, it was developed in the early 1500s by Ignatius of Loyola. And some ref, refer to it as the examine of consciousness, uh, as it's designed to encourage our minds to work through what we experience in a day or to work through what we experience th- throughout the week and to ask ourselves, what did I experience and where did I see God at work? It, it starts with, Recalling and reviewing, walking through our day, taking a minute minute to to walking through our our day and asking ourselves, where did God show up? Or maybe, where did I feel like God didn't show up? Then we're invited to reflect on those moments. Ignatius highlighted the need of paying attention to our emotions. What did we feel when God did show up? What did we feel when God didn't show up? And then we respond. But not necessarily in the way that that might seem natural. Usually when we respond, it's with some sort of action. but, But in this prayer, the response is asking the Holy Spirit... To reveal something from your experience. So it's saying, God, what were you teaching me about you in that moment? What were you teaching me uh, uh, about the world around me in that moment? What were you teaching me about you in that moment? And then lastly is, is resolve. It's surrendering, surrendering <clears throat> or releasing what happened that day or earlier in the week and giving thanks as we look forward to the future. Reviewing, reflecting, responding, releasing. This prayer, these four steps, you you could do it in 5, 10, 15 minutes. It does not take going on a day-long retreat up to our snow-capped mountains. It, it doesn't. You, you, could, you could do it stepping away from the office for five minutes. You could do it in the morning before you start your day. St. Augustine shares the story of, of turning to God and his confessions. And it's his, his personal story, but it's also an incredibly important work for the church. And there's a few places where he kind of moves from from prose to poetry. And one of his poems has to do with with being still in the midst of a noisy world. I'd invite you to, to close your eyes and hear these words. Imagine if all the tumult of the body were to quiet down, along with all our busy thoughts about earth, sea, and air. If the very world should stop and the mind cease thinking about itself, go beyond itself and be quite still. If all the fantasies that appear in dreams and imagination should cease and there should be no speech, no sign. Imagine if all things that are perishable grew still. For if, if we listen, they are saying, we did not make ourselves He made us who abides forever. Imagine then that they should say this and fall silent. 
listening to the very voice of him who made them and not to that of his creation. So that we should hear not his word through the tongues of men nor the voices of angels nor the clouds thunder nor any symbol, but the very self which in these things we love and go beyond ourselves to attain a flash of that eternal wisdom which abides above all things. And imagine if that moment were to go on and on, leaving behind all other sights and sounds but this one, which ravishes and absorbs and fixes the beholder in joy, so that the rest of eternal life were like that moment of illumination which leaves us breathless. Would this not be what is bidden in Scripture? Be still. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, in the midst of our busyness and in the midst of the noise, Lord, this Lenten season, may we find space to be still, to know that you are God, to hear your voice. We pray these things in your name. Amen.